0: Good morning, my name is Shane. I'm a teaching pastor here, and I'm so glad that you have came to worship with us this morning. Uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and it brings truth and life, so every Sunday we gather together to uh, read and meditate and study God's Word. Uh, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app and you want to open it up, you can go up to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. We are going to conclude our study uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Arguably the most famous sermon that has ever been preached. Uh, it's been a fantastic study. And in this sermon, Jesus presents two ways the way of the world and the way of the Lord. And he's constantly been showing us how the way of the Lord is the way to the good life. Uh, the way of the Lord creates a countercultural community. That gives us a new way to live, a new way to be human, a new way to glorify God, and a new way to enjoy Him and experience a life that's better than we could have ever imagined. So this morning, as we look at Matthew seven thirteen through 29, we're going to see that Jesus shows us the path to the good life. Hear the word of the Lord. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, and great was the fall of it. As Charlie read, the psalmist says that God's teaching is wonderful, that it gives light and life. Now let's pray that God would show us the wonder of his teaching now. Um, I have a confession to make. I am not good at taking vacation. I'm, j- I'm not good at it. Uh, pray for my wife and kids. We're going to Colorado next week. Okay, Pray for me, but I'm not good at taking vacation. And usually every vacation kind of follows the same pattern, right? I come into vacation. I've been working hard for weeks or months. I've been trying to be a, a good dad, a good person, a good father, a good pastor. Um, I've, been, I've been trying to love and serve others. So I come into vacation, and now vacation is my time. That I get to do all those fun things that I haven't been doing for months. And it is my chance to have the world revolve around me, You can guess how that turns out. It doesn't take long before my expectations are not met, right? I get angry and frustrated and bitter and self-righteous. Well, the same thing happened uh, around the 4th of July. I always take a few days off around the 4th of July to kind of catch my breath during the summer. And uh, start out the week with these high expectations. And inevitably, the expectations weren't met. And by the end of the week, I was bitter and cranky and self-righteous. And I did what I normally do during those times. I just said, I'm leaving. I'm going to go ride my bike. Uh, You guys fend for yourselves. (laughs) So I got on my bike, and I started riding my bike around La Fortune. And as I'm riding my bike around La Fortune Park, I just started praying. I was like, Lord, what is going on? I've been working hard for you. I've been trying to be a good dad and a good pastor. And all I feel like I experience is disappointment. One disappointment after another. And um, it was in that moment when the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit whispered to me. And my father said, all that I have is yours. What more do you want? And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see my self-righteousness, to see my bitterness, to see my anger for the sin it was that my Heavenly Father has loved me and been gracious and kind to me. So I repented of my self-righteousness. I asked the Lord to forgive me. I received His grace, and I was able to thank Him for His gift. And the rest of the vacation was a lot better for everybody. What, What had happened? What had happened is the little Pharisee in my heart had gone to work, and I had drifted from the way of the Lord, which is the way of grace. And I had gotten back onto the path of the way of the world, which is the way of self-righteousness and hypocrisy and performance. And that, that road, in the end, leads to what? It leads to destruction. The destruction of relationships, of families, of churches and organizations. The path to the good life is not the way of performance. It's not the way of hypocrisy. It's not the way of self-righteousness. It is the way of grace. And that's what Jesus shows us here in the conclusion to his sermon. And that's what I want you to see this morning. is the path of the good life is the path of grace. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Uh, The way to the good life, the influence of the good life, and the foundation of the good life. Kids, if you're listening out there and you want to take some notes, write down the names of people who have been good influences in your life and why. We're going to talk about good influences in the middle. So write down some good influences and why they've been good influences. Because the first thing we're going to look at is the way to the good life, verses 13 through 14. In this section, Jesus describes two different ways. The first way is the easy way. It's got a wide gate. It's broad. There's a lot of people going down this way, but Jesus says it ends in destruction. This second way is the hard, narrow way. It's got a small gate. There's only a few people going down it, and Jesus says this is the way that leads to life. Now, we read this passage... Read this section and it's tempting to go, okay. I know Jesus has been talking about grace, and Shane's been talking about grace, and he's been help, trying to help us understand the law in the context of grace. But here it is. Jesus is really talking about obedience. He's really talking about works. And the bad people over here are the they're the the atheists, they're the unbelievers, they're the partiers, they're the 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 whatever you think is the bad people. They're going down this broad path the wrong way, and they're going to end in destruction. And over here, on the religious side, these are the good people. These are the people who are honest and hardworking and loving, and they're going to go to heaven. So you've got the bad people over here, and you've got the good people over here. You've got the irreligious people over here, and you've got the religious people over here. Well, now let's just think about this. Is Jesus, you think Jesus was a good preacher? You think Jesus was a good teacher? Do you think Jesus would end his sermon with a totally different message from all the rest of his sermon? No. Right. Every teacher knows that you start with your intro and you tell everybody what you're going to tell them and then you get to the middle and you tell them what you want to tell them and then you get to the end and you tell them what you told them. That's what good teachers do. So if we understand what Jesus is saying, we've got to step back And look at this in context. And go back to to the beginning and middle of the sermon. To whom did Jesus address this sermon? To his disciples. To the religious people. Who did Jesus correct all the way through his sermon? He corrected the religious leaders. For their self-righteousness. And their hypocrisy. And then... In the middle, he corrects the Gentiles, which would have been the ancient people who worshipped a different God than the Jews. We might call them the irreligious people, the outsiders, and he corrects them because they think the relationship with God is based all on performance. And so when you look at this in context, what you see is that the easy way, the broad way, the way that leads to destruction is both a religious and an irreligious way to live based on performance. It's the way of performance. It's not the way of grace, whether it's religious or irreligious. Right? In this way, this mentality is, I obey, therefore I'm loved, and I'm accepted. Okay? Now, think about the sermon. Think about the beginning of the sermon. Think about the Beatitudes. Who did Jesus bless? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the contrite, the humble, the ones who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure, the peaceful, and the persecuted. These are the people, he says, will inherit the kingdom of God and experience its benefits. The hard road, the narrow road that leads to life is the way of grace. It's the way of looking at yourself and saying, I have no spiritual righteousness in my own. I'm spiritually poor. I'm a sinner who's broken and needy, and I need God's righteousness from outside of me. To enter this door and to walk in this way, what we have to do is lay down our self-righteousness and our hypocrisy and our pride of the narrow way. And we have to let Jesus be our Lord and Savior. And the heart of this way says, I'm loved and accepted in Jesus, therefore I obey. You see that? There's two two different ways here that Jesus is, is pointing out, but only one of them leads to the good life. You can either live as if I obey, therefore I'm loved and accepted, or I'm loved and accepted, therefore I obey. And this is the only way to the good life. And if you get those two things backwards, if you reverse the order, guess what? Whether you're religious or you're irreligious, at some point you're going to burn up and you're going to burn out. Uh, I had this illustrated very uh, vividly to me a few days ago. Uh, Jack Richardson uh, sent our community group a text message. He said, I'm at the gas station and my car just died. I need somebody to come give my van a jump. So I said, sure, I, I, just, I got some jumper cables I'll go down there and help you. So I, I get to the gas station. Jack's car is right by the pump. I wheel around. I pull up. And uh, Jack's got his jumper cables out. And I'm like, all right, this is my chance to help Jack. I've, I've, I've recharged the battery a thousand times. I know exactly how to do this. So I hop out, pop the hood. He pops his hood on. We put the jumper cables onto his battery. I go to put the jumper cables on my battery. And I recently got a new truck. And so... I just assumed I knew where the jumper cables were supposed to go. Black to black, red to red, right? So I saw a black cap and I saw this red, this post that had a little bit of red on it. I was like, okay, black to black, red to red, black, red. Chum in the car, turn it on, fire it up, step back. Jack and I are looking at it. And within seconds, smoke begins to come up from the jumper cables. And I'm like, Oh, no, something's wrong. I jump on my car. I turn it off. And Jack and I just stand there, watch, mortified as the jumper cables literally melt in front of us. And this guy, this guy walks by and he's like, hey, you got the jumper cables backwards, didn't you? I'm like, yes, yes, I did. Thank you. I got the jumper cables backwards. I got them backwards. I put the positive with the negative instead of the, uh, instead of, I got them flip-flopped. I got them backwards. And it burned up. Okay? If you get these two ways wrong, you will burn up just like those jumper cables. If you say, I obey, therefore I'm loved and accepted, eventually you're going to burn up and you're going to burn out. The only way to live the good life is to say, I'm loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, therefore I obey. Those are the only two ways. Maybe you're here this morning and you have... uh, You've rejected the church. You've rejected Jesus. Or you're just not sure what you think. You have some doubts, right? And you're thinking, you know what? I I think I'm just going to do my own thing. I think I'm just going to go my own way. Jesus says eventually that's not going to work. You're going to burn up and you're going to burn out. And that's what the the, the direction that the way of the world is leading you to. And what he invites you into is the way of grace most of us probably in here are religious people who have have already confessed Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I love Jesus. I follow him. I know him. I'm in church. I believe everything that you're talking about. That's me. I'm with you. What happens is, just like what happened to me before that bike ride, that little Pharisee in our hearts goes, you know what? Life would really be better if you came over here and you really lived based on your own obedience. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the way to the good life. The normal, ordinary, regular way of the Christian life is to live it out of the love and acceptance we have in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that we see here. The way to the good life is the way of grace. The second thing we see here is the influences of the good life. In verses 15 to 23, Jesus talks about people that can influence us he talks about these false prophets, right? So Jesus knew that his kingdom was engaged in a spiritual struggle. They always have been. There were false prophets in the Old Testament. There were, Jesus called the scribes and the Pharisees false prophets during his day. Uh, every New Testament letter in some way addresses false prophets and false teachings in the church. The early church condemned heretics and false teachers. Jesus knew that there was going to be uh, false prophets that are going to try to influence us to go the wrong way. He says they will show up in sheep's clothing, but they will deceive you. They're really wolves. So how do we recognize these false prophets? Well, let me give you three ways to recognize a false prophet. First, we can recognize a false prophet by their attitude towards the sheep. The false prophet uses God's sheep to promote themselves. The ravenous wolves that seek to devour, they use and abuse the sheep. The true prophet, the Christ-like prophet, is, is one who lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus did. He was a good prophet because he laid down his life for the sheep. The second way to recognize a false prophet the false prophet is identified by the life by his life and teaching. Okay? You have to ask yourself, is their life Christ like? Are they growing in the fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And are they encouraging their followers to grow in Christ likeness? The false prophet is going to deceive Manipulate and twist people to look like themselves and not like Jesus. The false prophet is always pointing people to themselves. The true prophet is always pointing people to Jesus and saying, look more like Jesus. The third way we can identify a false prophet is by his priorities. The false prophet values success over obedience. They value position over service. They value gifts over grace. They're focused on externals, not on the internal change of the heart. When we look at Jesus, Jesus didn't just come as a miracle worker to do all these miraculous things just to impress people. What did he do? He came to change people from the inside out. And part of our problem as people is we're always looking at the outside. We're always looking at the gifts and not at the grace. I was listening to a podcast this week where there was an older, wiser pastor on the podcast, and they were asking him about um, the church's propensity to sort of elevate celebrity pastors, create these celebrity pastors, and the celebrity pastors inevitably fall and they fail. And so they asked him, they said, why do you think this is? Why does this happen? And he said, well, it's because we look for gifts and not for grace. And he said, uh, you know, there there was a pastor that I knew, that had a successful ministry and then he fell into immorality and his family and his ministry were destroyed and then later on I got to talk to that pastor and I asked him I said hey how did this happen and he said well all, you know Friday Saturday Sunday I would be working on my sermon and as I was working on the sermon my conscience would be pricked and I would feel conviction that I was living this double life and I would resolve okay I'm going to preach the sermon and then afterwards I'm going to change I'm going to repent he said, but then Sunday would come, and I would preach the sermon, and I would see all the gifts that God was giving. I would see people ch- having changed lives. I would hear their compliments. And then when Monday would come around, I would never make the change. He was looking at the gifts and not at the grace. When it comes to the influences of our lives, our pastors, including me, <laughs> our teachers, our friends, we have to ask ourselves, are we, look, are we just looking for charisma? Or are we looking for character? Are we just looking at gifts? Or are we looking for godliness? Jesus tells us, look for grace and godliness in the hearts of your leaders. That is the true prophet. The one that looks more like Jesus and is encouraging you to look more like Jesus. In the next season of life in our church, we're going to... Uh, talk about elders we're gonna we're gonna nominate elders we're gonna train elders and we're gonna vote on elders and so as you're thinking about men in our congregation that you want to shepherd you i want you to look at their character did it display a godly gracious character are they growing in the fruits of the spirit those are the men you want to be your shepherds what is the root of these false prophets jesus tells us in verses 21 to 23 they don't know christ He describes their judgment. He says, in the end, they're going to come to him with good theology. If you look at this passage, it says that they come to him and they say, Lord. They use the right name. They they call him Lord or Christ. Maybe even his his covenant name. They've got good theology. They also have emotion. Uh, It says, Lord, Lord. Anytime the Bible doubles something, that means emphasis. Right? When David cries out over his son, Absalom, he says, Absalom, Absalom. Here it says, Lord, Lord, they have emotion. They have passion. They've had an emotional religious experience. They even have gifts. Look, it says, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? So they've got good theology, they've got passion, they've got ministry gifting. And what does Jesus say? depart from me. I never knew you. Why? You can have all those things. You can have good theology. You can have a religious experience. You can do ministry and not know Jesus and miss him and not have a a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, campus ministers see this a lot. I see this as, I saw this a lot as a campus minister. Students would come to me, they went to youth group, they heard some good theology, uh, they went to church camp, they had a spiritual experience, they went on a mission trip and did some ministry, and then they, they come uh, to your campus ministry and you sit down and talk to them, and they talk about all those things, and they never say anything about Jesus. And what you realize that their, their entire life was actually built on themselves and their own performance. These false prophets, it's kind of hidden in the English, but if you look at it in the Greek, they say we, we, we. Their entire life, their entire ministry was built on themselves, not on knowing Jesus. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. We need to make it our personal endeavor to know Jesus and to draw near to him and to to put ourselves under pastors and teachers and elders that know Jesus. Knowledge, passion, and ministry will flow out of that. Well, how do we know if we built our life on Jesus or on ourselves? Jesus tells us that the trials of life will reveal our foundation. That's what we see in the last thing, the last part here is the foundation of the good life. Jesus describes two houses. And on the surface, they look the same, but they have radically different foundations. One person builds their house on the sand. They hear the word of God, but they don't practice it. Or they hear the way of the world. And so they build their, their house on the way of the world. And when trials come, what happens? Their house is knocked down because it wasn't built on the right foundation. It wasn't built on the way of the Lord and the word of the Lord. And he talks about there's a, there's a second builder. And they build their house on the rock. They hear the word of God and they do it. They hear the weight of grace and believe it. They, they look at their life and they trust Jesus. And they say, Jesus, I know that you asked me to do Hard things. I know you asked me to lay down my life for you, but your ways and your word are good. And so they go through something like the Sermon on the Mount, like we've been through. And I want you to look at, think about all the different topics that we've talked about. Right? We've we've heard Jesus talk about anger, lust, divorce, promises, retaliation, loving your enemies, giving, praying, fasting, anxiety, judging, and loving others. That is a lot. And what Jesus is saying is that I want you to build your life on my life. Build it on my ways. I am the only person who has kept all of this teaching perfectly. And my words will give you a stable foundation on which to build your life. And when the trials and the tribulations come, your house will stand. Let me ask you this. Um, When you're struggling physically, Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, what does it do to you? Does it crush you or does it shake you? If it crushes you, then that may be an area of your life that you have built on the sand, and Jesus is inviting you to build on Him because He is the rock. He's the only one that will stand, He's the only one that can support your marriage and your finances, and your anxiety, and your family, and your friends. And when you're crushed by those things, it's a sign that that has one more area that you can build on Jesus. And what will happen is, when you build your life on Jesus, you'll be shaken, but you won't be crushed. Jesus never promises us that we won't go through hard things. He never promises this, that we won't, be, that we won't fail spiritually. He never promises us that we won't suffer, but he promises us that those whose life are built on him will suffer and they'll be shaken, but they won't be crushed. And that one day, someday, they will experience the good life. Jesus shows us the path to the good life. It's through grace, the influence of the good life. It's through people who have been shaped by Jesus. And the foundation for the good life. It's a life built on the person and work of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. And he gives us an invitation to receive that. Um, Jesus gives us, in another place, he tells a parable. And I want to finish with this. As in this parable illustrates the two ways that we can live. Two ways we can pursue the good life and how we can find it. In this parable, he talks about a younger son. He says, there's a, young, there's a young son who goes to his father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. Which is the ancient equivalent of saying, Dad, I want you to die so I can have your money. And the father, that's, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yes. And, and so the father gives him his inheritance, and the son takes the inheritance, and what does he do? He moves to the city, and he spends it all partying. He wastes all his father's money. He pursues the way of the world. Well, eventually the money runs out, a famine hits, he he needs work, he needs food, so he hires himself to feed pigs, and it's there in the pig pen that he says he longs to be filled with the pods that the pigs ate. He's empty. He's hungry. And, and in a moment of clarity, he remembers, like, man, the servants in my father's house have it way better here. This isn't the good life. My father's house is the good life. I'm going to go home. I'll apologize to dad, and maybe he'll let me be a servant. So he gets up, and he goes home, and when he's still a, a long ways off, his father sees him because his father's been waiting on him, and the father runs to him. And before the son can even get the, the apology out of his mouth, the father hugs him and kisses him, he welcomes him home, and he tells the servants, go kill the fattened calf, we're gonna throw a party, my son was lost, and he's found, my son was dead, and he's alive. Jesus, if, if that's you, if you've been running from the Father, if you've been running from God, if you've been following the way of the world, know that Jesus is offering you an invitation to, to the good life in the Father's house. He has paid it all. His life, death, and resurrection paid so that you could come home and experience the love of the Father. All you have to do is be willing to lay down your self-righteousness and your performance and your hypocrisy and say, Jesus, I want you. I want to build my life on you. Ask him to forgive you and he will lead you to the good life. He makes that offer to younger brothers and irreligious people who've rejected the Father, but he also makes an offer to religious people. He makes an offer to self-righteous people. In that parable, there's an older brother, and the older brother, is he's a dutiful person. He's a servant. He's a farmer. He's hardworking and honest. He's an Oklahoma right? And when the younger brother comes home, he's out in the field. Of course, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's working in the field. He hears all the commotion, and he asks one of the servants, he says, hey, what's going on? And the servant said, well, your younger brother's home. The father's thrown him a party. And what does the older brother do? He gets mad. He gets self-righteous. He gets on a bike, and he goes for a ride around La Fortune Park instead of going into the party. And so the father comes out to him, and he begs him to come to the party, and the, the, uh, the older son says, I have been slaving away for you for years. I've done everything you've asked me to do, and you've never thrown me a party. You've never killed me a calf. You've never celebrated me. And the father comes to him and says, all that I have is yours. And the parable ends right there. And the question is, Will the older brother come into the party and experience God's grace and receive God's grace? That's the invitation that Jesus offers us. If you feel the Pharisee in your heart telling you to live by obedience, to live by self righteousness, to live by pride, to live by hypocrisy, Jesus invites you to a better way, He invites you to a way of grace. He invites you to the way of laying down your self-righteousness and your pride. Saying, Jesus, my life is built on you and nothing less. Your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. That's it. That's the way to the good life. Whether you're religious or you're irreligious, whether you're the younger brother or the older brother, is to come to Jesus and say, You are good. Your way is good. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to be like you. And I want to experience the good life that you have to offer. So let's go to Jesus, wherever we're at right now. And let's ask him to help us do that. Please pray with me.